What is happening, security gang? Welcome to another Friday conversation of the Cyber Hub podcast. James Azar here, your host. I've got a very exciting topic to talk about today, one that I've covered a lot during our practitioner briefs here over the last several weeks, the commute air no-fly list. The fact that the U.S. federal no-fly list was just sitting on an unsecured server somewhere by a regional airline that was a sister partner airline to United Airlines has quickly made us all rethink our responsibility to the supply chain, but also around data management and data security. That's going to be the topic of today's episode here on the Friday Conversation. I've got a very special guest joining me here in just a moment, Amit Shaked. He's the founder and CEO of Laminar, um, and we'll be kind of taking a deep dive into data security and everything else going on. So don't go anywhere. Let's get the Friday Conversation going. Happy Friday, y'all. Here we go. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, happy Friday, security gang. I've got my buddy from the other side of the ocean with, and he's in my favorite city in the entire freaking world. If y'all haven't been to Tel Aviv yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Amit, good morning. Happy Friday. How's it going, buddy? Doing great. Thanks for having me, James. It's a pleasure to have you on. So folks who don't know Amit Shaked, let me introduce you to one of the brilliant minds here. Um, so, so Amit's going to be talking to us here today about cloud transformation, data democratization. But Amit himself comes really from a whole slew of unicorns out of Israel, which is, you know, no surprise. Uh, recently leading doing some deep learning and AI for the Unicorn Magic Leap. He's also a graduate of 8200. Uh, over at the Israeli uh, uh, Defense Forces, uh, focused on cybersecurity and artificial intelligence. He also holds a master's from uh, one of my favorite universities on the planet, Tel Aviv University, with their world-renowned Cyber Week in the summer, which they got to change the date because coming to Israel at the end of July never is a good idea. But Amit is also the founder and CEO of Laminar. And so, Amit, happy Friday again. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Awesome. So, I mean, I want to kind of get talking a little bit about our topic today because it really is fascinating. The fact that the no-fly list uh, ended up just sitting on an unsecured server somewhere uh, makes me a bit nervous about the future of data security. You know, the fast rate of change is really kind of changing and 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 leaving security almost in the dust. What what are you seeing from from the fast rate of change, and what could security practitioners really be doing to keep up with the speed of change instead of stuff taking years now it's taking days or weeks yeah sure so i think we absolutely see this trend and usually you know with this such a uh, changes it comes to three aspects the people process and, and technology right and so first in people what you see and this is kind of the reasons for the rapid data proliferation that we see in the cloud but also others is that you know in people first you now have independent teams that kind of own their applications and own the data and can innovate fast and independently. They don't need to ask, ask anybody else or the security team about whether or not they can make this change. In the processes, there's this data democratization that you also mentioned, right? And it's the idea that, okay, we have these independent teams. We want them to use data. We want them to leverage it more freely and to innovate and to create data-centric innovation to drive the business. And so this is fantastic, right? Every developer and engineer can now just say, go ahead and, and use data. And in technologies, you see dozens of new technologies in the cloud to store, use, and share data. 
right? Just in AWS, there are all these different acronyms. There's F3, but also RDS and EBS and EFR and EMR and many, many different types of technologies, which is again great because the idea is that to have a different solution for every different use case for using data, right? Structured and unstructured, real-time, SQL and NoSQL. And so what you get is that every developer or data scientist with a great idea can just go ahead and implement it, which is fantastic for the business. And obviously you want to allow it, but it's also a nightmare for security teams, right? Because the problem is today, every time the data grows, so does risk. Because when data proliferates, the data security doesn't follow. And this is also what we saw in the, in the no-fly list zone, right? You can put all your efforts into protecting the main production database and have all your controls in place. But then as soon as the data is moved or copied to S3 bucket or any other example, all these controls don't matter anymore. It can be copied to another area or to the test or to the development. Uh, and so this is what you get, right? This data chaos. And uh, we, we tend to criticize security teams or security leaders about not protecting the sensitive information hard enough, but really, what can you do, right? If you put yourself or you, you wear a CISO, you are a CISO, right? You know how it is, right? What can you do? You can either resist all the great trends of the cloud and say, you know what? Don't innovate rapid that fast. Don't innovate that fast or come through me every time you want to make a change. Nobody wants to be that person, right? Nobody wants to slow down business. Modern security teams are about enablement. And so you don't want to do that. You can't do anything manually. Right? You have tens of thousands of data stores you're not going to go one by one. Uh, and okay, you've tried everything you have with infrastructure and application security, but the problem is that they too don't follow the data, right? Okay, you can figure that this S3 bucket is, is protected, but then as soon as it's copied to another, what, what do you do with that? Uh, and again, the problem with data is that if you focus only on the infrastructure and you say this asset is open to the public, maybe it's okay. Maybe the asset that was open to the public in the no-fly list uh, scenario was supposed to be public because it meant to share data with business partners, with customers. The problem is that too often there's sensitive data that is sitting there that the organization didn't know about because of all the data proliferation that we just saw. And so this put CISOs and data security teams in a very big problem, right? What can you do? You don't have the proper tools. Yeah, I mean, you brought up, I think, a few a few very important points, and I think I'll, I'll kind of tell you this as a CISO, right? So one, if, if you don't keep up with the business, if you slow down business, you're not going to be in your job for very long. Let's just yeah. start with that, right? Um, you're likely not also going to be able to get people to champion security for you because the moment you start telling people, no, you can't do something is the moment mm -hmm. they start to look for other ways to do it behind your back. You know, the, the no-fly list to me was was, you know, Commute Air is a very, very small regional airline carrier. Um, but the fact that TSA and DHS and DOD don't have standards for how they share the no-fly list is even more more mind-boggling for me because who's, you know, it's, it's, it kind of goes back to you're only as strong as your, your weakest, you know, link. You know, you know this from the military, right? Your unit's only as strong as the weakest guy in it. So, you know, the, the same goes here. But again, I think, you know, the other thing about this is a lot of security professionals, right? The, the rapid change creates a knowledge gap, 
right? And we're seeing things go into multi-cloud environments where it's not just AWS. You've got to know Azure. You've got to know Google Cloud. You've got to know Oracle. You may have to know your private cloud. You've got your on-prem because not everyone, a lot of people still have on-prem. And so you're looking at these, you know, kind of adoption of cloud data storage across multiple, you know, cloud providers. A lot of them have different configurations, different architectures. It becomes really hard to manage. How do you start to, how, how do security professionals even start to tackle? It's hard enough knowing security. Nonetheless, now start to know every single cloud provider, every single knickknack. I mean, you were just talking about the AWS acronyms. Well, that's wonderful, but I guarantee you that half of the people that wrote those down now are Googling what they mean. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just say one thing. You said that you were surprised that they didn't have proper policies for how to share this sensitive data. My guess is that they do have them, except that how do you enforce it, right? Because the problem is deeper than just visibility and understanding and detection. How do you enforce your policies, right? Let's say you say you can't share this information with any uh, business partner, right? How do you make sure that no engineer or data scientist is making the mistakes? I think it's part of the problem. Having policies in many cases is, is not enough. Uh, and, and yes, but also configuring in to everything you said, right? That the skills gap, especially when it comes to data, because the way traditional data teams and data security teams and privacy, right? Which is a big part of this game, used to think about it is they're not necessarily as technical as the best engineer in your organization, right? They don't know all the subtleties and the differences between all these different technologies, and they are different. The way AWS is managing access is very different from the way Azure is doing it. And in AWS are all these different technologies and all the different databases that you can run on a compute, like Postgres and, and MongoDB and others have different ways to manage it. And so expecting those teams to know all the differences and to keep up to date with all the changes is just impossible. Not to say that even if they know, still understanding the access is complex because if you look at AWS, even F3 bucket, right, and you want to know who can access it, it it's not easy. There's all these floor charts because there are policies at the object level, at the uh, bucket level, there are ACLs, there are backward compatibility policies, there are organizational policies, and you have to, you have to combine everything in your head and kind of follow this floor chart to know if you can access it or not. And the reason is it's very easy for a machine to validate that, but for a human being, it's very hard. And so I think we can't really expect them to do everything manually without the proper solutions. And this is what the data security solutions, the new data security posture management tools are here to do, right? To bridge this gap of, of the knowledge, of the rapid proliferation, of enforcing the policies. And so, yes, I mentioned that it's hard to criticize them when you don't have the proper tools. And I think we should empathize, but our empathy is going to run out pretty quickly because now there are tools to do that. And so I feel that more and more organizations are now uh, adopting them. So the only way to handle it is automation, right? There is no other answer. Right. I mean, automation obviously helps bridge skill gap and knowledge gap, right? When you look at kind of the idea of multi-cloud and, you know, we kind of very much talked about AWS, but if you look at the challenges between what are some of the challenges you've witnessed between kind of the on-prem to cloud posture management to the distributed workforce and so forth, what are some of the challenges you've seen there when it comes to really data management? Because, and I want to preface this, um, in preparing for our conversation this morning, 
um, um, Amit, I, I spent some time speaking to a lot of peers. The titles of chief data security officers, um, uh, VP of data security, um, those are titles, you know, we're used to, dev, you know, AppSec and GRC. Now we've got data security, which is a now seems to be its own kind of, you know, playing field for a lot of security practitioners. How do we start to address kind of the on-prem and then the responsibilities that these data security professionals get? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I think to give the, the, the most basic example for the differences between the on-prem and the cloud is if you think about sharing an internal file with a business partner. Right? In the on-prem environment, it took you months of pain and bureaucracy and you had to change the network configuration and all that just to share this file. And in the process, there was someone that could ask you the basic questions of why do you need to share this file? What is in this file? How do you protect it? What are the proper controls? And so on. If you want to share a file in an S3 bucket, it's, it takes you three clicks. And so doing that is so easy that obviously the, the business tends to allow engineers and data scientists to do that. If you can do it in three seconds, you shouldn't spend three months doing that. And so the major difference between the on-prem and the cloud is how easy it is, how fast it proliferates, and also the complexity and all the, the nuances that we, we talked about. And so I think there are significant differences, but the way I say it, you know, data security is not a new problem, right? It's a very old problem, perhaps as, as old as data, but in the on-prem environment, it was still kind of bearable because it was the devil you know. You knew pretty much where your data centers, you had the proper controls, maybe something that protects your databases. But then you want to solve the urgent pain in the cloud. And when you do that, you can probably, you also probably want to resolve the old pain in the on-prem. I think kind of cloud is the, it's what the trigger for organizations to solve it now. And then the on-prem is another thing that they need to handle while they are, they are solving their, their biggest problems. Uh, and in terms of the, the titles and the responsibility within the organization, I think you're touching a very interesting topic because it is still part of the debate that we hear with many executives. There is the CISO and the chief data officer and the chief privacy officer, and they all care about data and they all care about data security. And so understanding the race model, right, who is responsible, who is accountable and so on, is something that is still on a debate. What is the right way to do that? Uh, and we see that many organizations struggle because when you have multiple owners, you have no owners. Everybody's pointing at each other saying, okay, you're supposed to do that or you. And even if you think about the visibility, right, it's something that is important for everybody and knowing where all your data is and all your shadow data. So who's responsible for bringing this technology and, and implementing it, right? And so this is an ongoing debate. And I think the solution that we recommend to organizations, again, different types can have different solutions. We can talk about all the different types of organizations, but if I had to generalize, I think the answer is what you mentioned with the VP of data security. It's someone that owns data security, usually report to the CISO and take takes care of everything regarding data that is interesting for security. And so the privacy teams can also benefit from it because in many cases, they're, they're part of the legal team. They're not as technical and they don't always know how to bring in new technology. And the CISO is the organizational expert in bringing new technology, right? They do that all the time. And so by implementing data security, they can also help their peers and be good peers and partners. Same goes for the chief data officer. Sometimes they are stronger in the organization and can have tools of their own. 
but usually what I recommend is kind of someone senior that understands how to drive this discipline because data security is, is a whole new discipline, right? It's not part of application security or part of infrastructure or part of identity. It's a whole new discipline that you need to understand and, and, and solve. So a VP of data security or director that reports to the CISO, I think is the answer for this complexity of managing data. But as I said, it's a great question and I think it's still an ongoing debate. Yeah, I think this debate is 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 going to be leading us for for years to come. It's kind of like who the CISO should report to, right? Very similar debate when it comes to 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 data security. You did bring up a good point though. Someone has to own data security and between a chief data officer, a chief privacy officer, a CISO, a CIO and a CTO, you often find yourself having to navigate who's responsible to do what where you know, the, and, and, and the friction there typically doesn't exist between privacy and security. Rather, this friction is between data and security because data and data scientists want to be able to go out and do whatever they need to do in order to support the business. And security is like, hang on, hang on, don't, don't do X, Y, and Z. And so you end up finding that friction. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the ability to have someone own it and, and own overall data security is, is, is critical because, again, data security is a completely different threat surface. Um, and that kind of brings about what I like to call shadow data, right? Where you're moving data around, you've got data sitting, you know, that's how the no-fly list ended up in an S3 bucket. I mean, you know, for the sake of, 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 of accuracy, that, that commuter no-fly list was a no-fly list from 2019, meaning my guess, I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to go on a wild assumption here, Amit, and correct me if I'm wrong. Some data scientist or some, you know, engineer at Commuter was like, we're trying something new with how we store and analyze the no-fly list and probably maybe a new algorithm to match names versus passengers that might be boarding their flight because that's their responsibility. Um, and they used an old version of the no-fly list and completely forgot that the bucket was just sitting there unsecured. It's just my guess. How, how do you see that play out? How are you seeing the proliferation of shadow data, uh, Amit? Yeah, I, I would go with the, with the same guess, right? And this is something we see all the time. I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised of how many temp please remove after using <laughs> file we find uh, six years after the original date of the, of the file. And I think that comes to the nature of the of data in the cloud. It's super easy to create, to replicate, to move, to copy. It's very hard to delete because nobody wants to be responsible for deleting a database that somebody else uses, right? So it's so much easier to just leave it there indefinitely. And then what you end up with, it's adding up risk, it's adding cost, but it doesn't add any value. So I uh, see that the image has froze. Yeah, your your image slightly froze there. Um, but we can still hear you just fine. I'm going to give you an opportunity to reset that image real quick, Amit. Um, we'll see if we get that here. We, we <laughs> For those watching, so we had something similar happen here before, uh, before the show got going. And so... Um, I'm sorry to have that happen, but that's the beauty uh, and, and of, of, of live shows and live tech is sometimes we have some technology challenges. Um, and, so, and so that's the case. But to, to Amit's point here, um, while we wait for him to reset his 
is Cameron come back is um, what, what we're seeing is oftentimes um, these and Amit's back. So I'm going to bring him back into the show. I mean, I guess we got a different camera angle, buddy. We have <laughs> for that, but that's part of being in a live show, right? That's part, that's part of being on a live show. And, and, and you know what? I like these, um, these little moments because they, they really <laughs> test our, it's, it's kind of like a security practitioner where all of a sudden you have an event, right? You've got to quickly react to keep your cool and kind of be able to go through. That's the, you know, I say as a CISO, I've got two different types of events. One where I have an audio issue or video issue in the middle of a live show. The other <laughs> one is when I have a cyber event, but going okay. back to what you were talking about um, yeah. and kind of bringing us back on track here, the proliferation of shadow data. And like you were saying, the cloud has created the ability to just stand things up. How do you start to really deal with shadow data and wh wh where do we start to solve for yeah. shadow data so that we find it before our adversaries? do? Yeah, absolutely. So, we talked about the problem of why we see all this shadow data, right? The proliferation and the fact that you don't want to delete it because maybe somebody else is, is, is using it. And the problem is that, okay, manual efforts won't work. You have so many data, so you can go database by database or every file and figure out what's in there. And there were traditional solutions for data security, but they were based on connectors, right? Point at the database that you want to scan, and then this solution would connect to the database scan it, or you also had to provide the credentials and uh, like username and password, and then it could scan it. But this also misses all the shadow data, right? If you have to point, you can't point at something you don't know that exists because this developer copied it to the development environment to a net bucket, right? And so the only way to handle shadow data is automatic discovery and classification of all the data across your entire environment, right? Something that sits there, and every time there's a new data, it will know about this. And you as the user doesn't have to know about any change, but any change that affects you, any sensitive data that is publicly exposed, any restricted data that is accessed by a third party that you didn't plan to, you need to know as soon as it happens. And so that also allows the business to continue to innovate fast, right? You can tell data scientists and the engineers, look, build your applications, move as fast as you can, because when you do a mistake, and you will, but when you do it, We'll know about this immediately because we have proper monitoring tools and so that's just the only way that you can really handle this this shadow data and to prevent incidents like we we just heard and it's unfortunately not the only scenario of that kind right we hear about this sort of data breaches all the time and you're here and you're like how can it continue to happen how can sensitive files can still be in three buckets exposed or any other database right elastic cache map many examples the reason is that the reason is all this shadow data. Yeah, I mean, what you're bringing up, I think, is a problem that a lot of, you know, a lot of individuals, a lot of CISOs, a lot of practitioners deal with day in and day out, which is one, how do I discover data to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, how do I at least give myself a fighting chance to secure that data? Because we can create all the policies, right? And, and you see in a lot of traditional organizations, CISOs kind of have to create these policies and, you know, go do what I like to call the auditing function, which is, is our people following our policy? No, they're not. All right, let's use that as a coaching opportunity. You know, what you're talking about here is more of a proactive live, live feed and live approach into, into this world. Is that right? Yep. 
absolutely right. So technology, but like everything else, people and uh, and process, right? Because right. organizations need need to bring the right processes to handle data security. And it sounds trivial, but in many, it still does not exist. Data security used to be a shared responsibility, uh, but now if you have someone dedicated, or even if you're not, you need to find the right processes. Handling data security and infrastructure security vulnerabilities or issues is not necessarily the same because when it's data, you also need to understand the impact, right? You need to understand, was this data compromised? And so you need to build your operational workflows using technology because it's like you would never be able to build the right workflows without automation of discovery, but also you need to understand how to use the technology proper, how to benefit from it uh, the most. And so, yes, it comes hand in hand with, with that. And there are many potential uh, owners for this, even if you don't have data security. In many cases, we see that under cloud security, just, just understand that they need to take care of data. Sometimes it's the internal uh, threat, or there, there are many different possible ways, in many cases, data governance or privacy IT. And so this person has many names, has many titles, many hats, uh, but the idea is the same. They should care about data security and, and be able to operate the technology to remediate the risk. So, so I mean, what was the driver behind you actually starting Laminar? I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you worked in deep learning and AI, you, you've been in a bunch of unicorns. So, so, you know, you've, you've had your share of success. Being an entrepreneur is never easy. What's the reason you kind of went on this journey? Yeah, that's that's a great question that started way before uh, I started Laminar, because to be an entrepreneur, it kind of has to be rooted into your character, because right. there are it's so many your DNA. Either it's in yeah, your DNA yeah. or it's not. Yeah, it has to be. Look, I knew that I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like my co-founder and Oran and I started to talk about this when we were 14, and so I probably knew that I'm going to be an entrepreneur before that. And at age 14, you don't know anything about anything in life, right? You don't know the risk uh, and all the sacrifices that you'll have to make. But I knew that I want to be an entrepreneur. And even more than that, I knew that I want to be a CEO. So that's just who I am. And this is, I think, the only reason to become an entrepreneur. There are thousands of reasons why not. The only reason to start a company is if you kind of feel that you have to, if it's in your DNA, if you can't do anything else. And you know, I, I was at Magic Leap before I started the Laminar. And uh -huh. throughout my whole career, I always thought I can do this better than the <laughs> current CEO because at Magic Leap, we, we've built, I think is what is still one of the most amazing technologies to have ever been built. Right? It was this ability, amazing ability to see physical reality and digital reality into the same space. You had a digital dragon sitting on your table, but the business side was terrible. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't release a product for eight years now as the head of AI, I could influence some of the strategy, but I wasn't, I was not in a position to make decisions and change the strategy. And so I, I, I knew that if I think I can do it better, I have to prove it to myself and mostly to myself. <laughs> and, and this is why I wanted to start a company, right? So that's about becoming an entrepreneur and a CEO. Why Laminar specifically? So the idea also came from Magically because there I handled I process the most sensitive data. It's everything that the user can hear and see. And we moved it to the cloud and we wanted to run, we wanted to run an AI, AI algorithm based on this data. And I knew that with this kind of data, 
there is no second chance, right? If, if this data leaks, nobody will use MagicLip ever again. And so we had to come up with the best data security solution for this data or my project will never see the light of day. And so I was looking for off-the-shelf solution for data security, the best data security in AWS, and I just couldn't find anything that was satisfying. And so I asked my co-founder, Oran, what do they do? And he was the first employee at a startup called Medigate, who was since acquired. Yep. Uh, and he told me that they had exactly the same problem, right? The, the, they processed, it was a security startup in the healthcare industry and they processed health uh, information, no, no solution. And so then we just started to talk with people from the industry, right? CISOs, how do you handle data security properly in the cloud today? And when we realized that we're not the only one with this problem, we left our jobs and, and started Lamiar. Great story. I mean, going from, you know, it's kind of, uh, um, we see that today more than, more than ever before is a lot of people who have challenges end up going towards the path of saying, I'm going to solve it myself. And I, I, and I completely agree with that. What a, what a brilliant story. Um, Amit, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, what's the best way for people who have questions or, or want to connect? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. So first, probably the best approach is just to send me an email. It's Amit at laminarsecurity.com. I promise I'll get to it uh, as soon as, as I can. We uh, have our website with yeah. materials there about data security, with webinars, with thought leadership, about everything that we discussed today and more, right? Uh, how to operationalize it, what the new technology has to offer. Uh, and so just laminarsecurity.com. Uh, we have our LinkedIn page where we usually post this new webinars if you want to stay up to date with the latest and greatest in data security. And so I would recommend that. So also folks, uh, website that Amit talked about in the show notes uh, and, and below, if you're watching us live, like just if you're watching us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, wherever, um, it, it's it's right there. The links are, are below. Um, uh, and then obviously Amit's LinkedIn uh, is also there. Um, Amit was brave enough to give his email on a live <laughs> show. Um, so you guys can email him as well uh, and, and take that conversation. Amit, I want to say thank you for for one coming on the show and sharing so much. Um, you know, this, this, the challenge of data security is, is we've got a long road ahead of us, but, you know, small wins at a time leads to bigger victories. So, so really thank, thanks for, for coming on and being part of the show. Um, really appreciate it. Folks, that's it for our Friday show. I know there's, there's some questions here. We'll answer those like I do on the live show. We'll, we'll go back and, and, and physically reply to, to your comments uh, below. So, uh, we're not ignoring all the comments here on the side, uh, but we, we do want to be mindful of your time. And we're, we're a few minutes over here. So uh, I want to I want to keep that in mind for all of y'all. Thanks for tuning in. I mean, thanks for being on the show. All right, everyone. Friday, Friday conversation. That's a wrap. I'll be back Monday, 9 a.m. live with a practitioner brief right here on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you name it, everything but TikTok. So uh, you can catch us there. Um, make sure to subscribe. Go check out Amit and Laminar Security and the awesome team he's got there. Um, and if you have data security questions, I couldn't think of a better person to go speak with. Um, till then, have a great weekend, y'all. Have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.